Spring is here. Amen. Yesterday was amazing. It was almost a little too hot, but it's good. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated. And uh, really quick, uh, before I jump in, I just want to honor our lead pastor, Andy Andrew, who's with us this morning. Um, she literally got back from Montreal last night and is here with us this morning. So we're just honored that you're here. We love you and your husband. Um, and we wouldn't be who we are. Um, Tess and I wouldn't be who we are. Our church wouldn't be what it is without you guys, so thank you. And uh, awesome. Anybody like fast food in here? Any fast food lovers? Look at that. We're just honest with each other this morning. I was expecting the opposite reaction because typically, you know, if you're like, like me, when I married my wife, fast food was like the no-go zone. And, uh, but I'm a fast food lover. When I was in college, that's all I ate. It's terrible, but it literally was all I ate. And um, since we came into Brooklyn, I've gotten to know a couple of guys, and uh, we bonded over our love for fast food to the point where we actually made a top 10 list of our favorite fast food items. And one of the items that made it on that list was actually the garlic dipping sauce from Papa John's. Come on, right? Now, when I was making my list, there was a item that actually snuck up on me. It's the only item that I actually get from this fast food restaurant, and it's the Whopper. Anybody? Anybody else? The Whopper from Burger King. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Andrew. I see you. The Whopper from Burger King. I don't know what it is, but it, I just have these cravings. And uh, when we were living in Harlem, Every time I had to come down to the church office, I was really excited because on Fulton Street, as you walk from the train to the church office, there's a Burger King. And uh, so whenever I would have to go to the office, uh, Tess would be like, oh, I'm going to make dinner. Don't worry, I'll have it when you come back. What she didn't know was, I was like, yeah, that's cool, awesome, I'll eat it when I get home. But I'm also going to get a Whopper from Burger King. <laughs> and uh, that probably happened for like seven or eight times before I actually told her that I was actually eating Burger King. And then I would come home and eat whatever she made as well. And uh, it was just my secret craving. It just is what it is. And, uh, but one of the things that's interesting is we all know what Burger King's slogan is. It's you can have it your way. That's what their slogan is. You can have it your way. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Bonquiqui video, <laughs> right? And uh, it, it gets me every single time. And, uh, but their slogan, what they've made, you know, millions and millions of dollars off of is letting people know that when you come to Burger King, you can have it your way. However you want it, that's how you can have it. But this morning, what I want to talk about is, I don't want to talk about Burger King, although that's great. But I want to talk about something better. And that's Jesus, the King of Kings. But here's the thing, when we think of a king, we typically think of a king who is someone in power who gets everything their way. But Jesus flipped the script on that. He was a king that said, no, 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 no. I want it his way. And here's the thing, he knew that it was better. That Whopper is good, but it's actually not good for me. The fact that I can have it my way is not actually good for me. But Jesus flipped the script on it. He's flipped the script on it. And he said, no, 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 I want it the Father's way. 
I want it the Father's way. Here's the thing. Jesus was able to do this because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. Because he was the son of God, he knew who his father was. He was able to say, no, 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 no. I want it his way. I want it his way. I want it his way. We're going to go to Colossians 1. We're going to start in verse 9. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And he says this in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you, to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the king of kings. Better than Burger King. Better than any earthly king. There's no one like him. No one like him. No one like him. And this morning we're going to explore the fullness of his power. The fullness of his authority. And the fullness of his majesty. And I pray that as we talk about his power, we talk about his authority, we talk about his majesty, that we would have a revelation that those things are alive in us. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are our king, that there is no other name. There's no one greater. There's no one higher. And Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that your word would come to life, that you would speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus, our King, our King. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, it says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Power. Our king is powerful. Powerful. And I love this definition of power. It says the capacity or ability to direct influence of others or the course of events. And here's the thing. Without Jesus in the picture, all of us were dead in our sin. But because of his power, 
Because of our king's power, he changed the course of events for us. And that's good news. That's good news. The original course of events were that we were dead in sin, forever separated from God. But because of his power, and we see that in 13 and 14 of Colossians 1, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And, I, and the message version says it like this. For me, sometimes I have to read the message version because that's how I speak. And it says this, God rescued us from dead in alleys. And I love that because a dead end, it means there's no way out. There's no way out. But our king is powerful. There's no way out. Dead in alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up. I love that. He set us up because to set something up requires intentionality. It requires value on the person who's doing the setting up. He sets up in the kingdom of the son he loved so much. The son who got us out of the pit we were in. Got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Charles Spurgeon says this, Beloved, we still are tempted by Satan, but we are not under his power. We have to fight with him, but we are not his slaves. He is not our king. He has no rights over us. We do not obey him. We will not listen to his temptations. Our king is powerful. He's powerful. He changed the course of events for every single person in this room, in this world. He changed the course of events because he's powerful. His authority, our king is one of authority. And typically when you think of authority, you think of somebody who's been given the right or the privilege to command an action to completion. That's authority. Verses 15 and 18, 15 through 18, it says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Anybody from Greece in the house? Anybody? I figured it was a long shot. Um, anyways, uh, one of the things that I, I love learning, I'm not great at learning languages. So in seminary, the hardest course I took was Greek. Because the New Testament was written in Greek. Brilliant. And um, it was the most difficult class, and I dreaded it. But every time I went to the class and I, I dug in, one of the beautiful things is when you read something in the original language, the original context, sometimes it gives us a clear understanding of what the person is actually trying to communicate. And in the passage, verses 15 through 18, there's two words that I think if we go to the original text in Greek, they speak to us differently. And there's two words that I want us to focus on, and those words are the image and firstborn. Image in the Greek is akon. Everybody say akon. And firstborn in the Greek is prototakos. 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 It's like a prototype of a taco. That's how you can think about it. Proto-tacos. But here's the thing. 
Akon, the Greek word for image in classical usage, actually takes the idea of what image means, because when we think of image, we typically think of something like it resembles something. But it actually takes it a little bit further, and the, the classical usage says this, it's the actual participation in the reality to which the image pointed. So when we see it in verses 15, it says the sun is the image. It says, no, the sun is the actual participation in the reality of God. That changes the way we think about that. Because we're not just seeing something that resembles God, but we're seeing our king who is God. Here's the crazier part is that we were made in his image. And that same word is used. So we are the reality, the participation of the reality of God. It's who we are. Prototakos. The Greek word for firstborn means privileged one or exalted one. Privileged one or exalted one. And what I love about us looking at what those two words mean in the original language, the Greek, is that I think Paul is actually trying to communicate to us that God has given Jesus the right and the privilege to command any action into completion. That's the authority that our king has been given. The other thing is all things in a matter of, of about three to four verses is used four times. That's not coincidence. But he's trying to let us know that it's not just some things. It's not just one thing, but it's all things. That's who our king is. He has authority. He's been given the right and the privilege to command an action to completion over all things in heaven or on earth. This is our king. His majesty, his majesty, he's majestic. I love verse 19 in Colossians 1. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Everything that God is dwells in Jesus. Everything that God is dwells in Jesus. The majesty of God dwells in Jesus. John Piper, a legendary pastor, says this about the majesty of God. Try to conceive of this. God is absolute perfection, perfect power, perfect love, perfect justice, and perfect faithfulness. He is perfect everything. All he is matches every good desire we possess. God's beauty is the bouquet of his perfections in his person, unveiled in his purposes and displayed in his glory. Majestic. Majestic. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. 
The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. His majesty, it's boundless to time and space. This is Jesus, our king, the king of kings. Jesus, the King of Kings, he is powerful, he has authority, he is majestic. This is our King. And here's what we have to know as followers, is that we've been given this divine inheritance to not just hold on to it, but to exercise it in our life. And maybe, maybe we're in this room right now and we would say, well, that's not for me. I'm not good enough for that king. I'm not good enough for those things. But here's the thing. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. If we go back, Colossians 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, not your might, his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. There is nothing that you can do to earn this. He's qualified you. to qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And I wonder how many times in our life We don't exercise the fullness of his power in our life. We don't exercise the fullness of his authority over all things in our life. And we don't exercise his majesty in our life. Because we think that there's something that I need to do in order to actually get that inheritance. But if we know what an inheritance is, you can't pay for it. You can't pay for an inheritance. But inheritance is something that is given to you because of the value that the person who is giving it to you is placed on you. My mom is amazing. She's my hero. And she's leaving me an inheritance, not because of anything that I've done for her, but because I'm her son. And in the same way, Jesus has qualified everyone to share in this inheritance, not because of who you are, not because of anything that you've done, but because he sees you as your son, as his son, as his daughter, and that will never change. And I wonder how how many times we live in the constraints of our own limitations and not in the fullness of his kingship. And how do we live like sons and daughters of the king of kings? How do we live like sons and daughters who are full of his power, his authority, and his majesty? I think the first thing that we can do is to know that we find his power in praise. We find his power in praise. One of the things I love about worship, and I'm not saying this because I'm a worship leader, believe me, is that it constantly reminds my soul of who God is and what he's done. No matter what the season is, that's not going to change. It's not going to change. And sometimes what we need most in difficult circumstances is to not worry but worship. 
I wonder what our life would look like if every moment we had a little ounce of worry that we flipped the script like Jesus did and said, you know what? This is messy right now, but I got a king and I'm going to worship him because I know I find his power in praise that I'm going to remind my soul of who he is and what he's done. In the book of Acts, the thing about Paul and Silas who were in prison, what did they do? They started to pray and they started to praise. And, and if you don't know what happens, they're singing, they're praising, all of a sudden an earthquake happens. All the doors fling wide open. And that guard is freaking out to the point where he's saying, oh, I'm going to kill myself because all the prisoners are free. But here's what happens. They're still worshiping. And you know what Paul says because he knows who his king is. He says, we're still here. We're all here. And what happens if we go to the end of the story? The guards get saved. Come on. The guards household gets saved. There is power in your praise. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, when we see a difficult circumstance, we come face to face with hardship and difficulty. I wonder what it would look like if we just reminded ourselves. We remind ourselves. Then on the third, and break of dawn. The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? And the angels roar for Christ the King. I wonder what our life would look like. If every moment of worry turned to worship, if we reminded our soul that we find his power in praise, that in the midst of the storm, our response would be to worship. The second thing that we can do is we can know that we find his authority in surrender. In order for us to exercise the authority we have in Christ, we must surrender our agenda for his. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from exercising the authority that we have in him is ourself. Sometimes we are the biggest hurdle Sometimes we need to just wake up and say, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender my agenda this morning because I want to exercise the authority that I have in you. And he teaches us this in the Lord's Prayer when he teaches us how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe what we need to surrender is our control, thinking that we know what we're doing. I've been there time and time again. No, I'm I'm good, God. I got it. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go to Burger King, and I'm going to have it my way. And I eat that Whopper because it's good in the moment. But the next morning, it ain't that good. 
Ask my wife. Bless her heart. It ain't that good. Maybe what we need to surrender is our bitterness. Maybe what we need to surrender is our fear. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. I wonder how many times fear holds us back from exercising the authority that we have in Christ. I wonder how many times fear holds us back from commanding, commanding an action to completion in Christ. That water is going to take me down. What is it that we need to surrender to exercise the authority that we find in our King? Romans 8, 15, it says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And here's what I know is sometimes that we think of surrender, we think that of losing. But what did our king do? He flipped the script. So when we surrender, we actually win. Come on. Oh, I give up. You win. That's what he says. I give up. You win. Come on. The last thing is we find victory in his reign. Victory in his reign. Jesus is the king of kings yesterday. He's the king of kings today. He's the king of kings tomorrow. He's the king of kings forever. Jesus is a king who's not bound to time or space. And because of that, we can find victory in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, it says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It doesn't say some of his enemies. It doesn't say a couple. It says all, all of his enemies. All of his enemies. The enemy will try to come against you. He will. But you already have victory because our king is reigning today, yesterday, and forever. John 16, it says this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's letting us know that it's not going to be easy. But because he is the reigning king forever, we know that we have victory. And I wonder how many of us are looking at circumstances and we're looking at them and all we can do is we can only speak to them from today. We can only speak to them today. But our king, who's not bound to time, he's not bound to space, has the power and the authority to look at our circumstance today from tomorrow. And he can speak victory into our circumstance today from tomorrow. I wonder what our world would look like if we reminded our soul of that. That if we said, no, 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 my king is reigning. He's not bound to time or space. And so I'm going to, Jesus, I need you to speak to my circumstance today from tomorrow because you know and I know that you already won. I wonder how much more victorious our life would be if we knew that. I wonder how many of us are 
living for victory and not from victory. Jesus tells us he's already won. He's already overcome the world. He's already overcome everything that we will face, every circumstance, everything the enemy will try to do, he's already overcome it. So I wonder how many of us are living for victory. We're striving for victory. We're trying to win it on our own. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I've already won. So you get to live from victory. Live victoriously in the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of the things that come against you. Oh, victory. One of my favorite verses, life verses, is 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What I love about that is God saying, you're royalty. I've chosen you for royalty. That my power as king, my authority as king, my majesty as king is in you. And I think there's three words in that verse that we just kind of sometimes skip over. And it's that you may. He's given us the privilege Because he could have said that you should. But he says that you may. He's given us the privilege to be in kingship with him. That we may declare his praise. Because he's the one who's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus is the king of kings. There's no one higher, no one greater, no one more powerful or majestic than Jesus. And he invites us to share his power through praise, experience his authority as we surrender, and to live victorious over the issues of our heart in his majesty. And my prayer is that we would practice praise in the midst of difficult circumstances, that we would embrace surrender of our agenda for his and that we would live victoriously every single day and every single moment of our life. That we may declare his praises. Jesus, the King of Kings, the only one who is worthy. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.